0: Hello. I'm Christina Rosolovka, Managing Director and Partnerships Lead in the EMEA region for Bank of America's Global Transaction Services division. And you're listening to Treasury Insights podcast series. Most treasurers have issued the dreaded RFP, a request for proposal to secure new technology or transaction services. It's an essential part of supplier selection as moving banks or core infrastructure is a rare event. And with all things in the treasury space, buying behavior has evolved with time. Today, we're discussing the changing trends in treasury buying behavior and how treasuries are reacting to market dynamics and increased complexity. I'm delighted to be joined by Peter Siegenhoos, Global Head of Booth Management at Bank of America, Lee Williams, Head of Sourcing at Bank of America in the Amiria region, and Dr. Tobias Maraka, Head of Corporate Banking at Coalition Greenwich. Welcome, gentlemen.
1: Sure, thanks, Christina. Looking forward to the discussion.
0: Hi, Christina.
2: Thank you for having me. Hi, Christina. Delighted to be here. Looking forward to the discussion.
0: We have three interesting takes on buying behavior, the bank view, the procurement view, and the client view. To start, can each of you share your key observations in terms of how clients buying behavior in the treasury enterprise space has changed over the last five years. Pete, can we start with you?
1: Sure thing. I think we're seeing a post-pandemic rebound of the amount of RFPs we're seeing coming in from corporate clients and corporate treasuries globally. Those are up about 30% year-on-year so far in 2023. And there's three core trends there. Firstly, what we're calling consolidation three ways, and this is at sort of structural consolidation at the banking level. The number of US and EU commercial banks has nearly halved since the turn of the millennium. We're also seeing consolidation at the relationship level. The the latest survey from Coalition Greenwich uh, said about roughly about a third of corporates are looking to consolidate their cash management over the next 12 months. And similarly, PwC just published their biennial global treasury survey, and they they say that greater than 40% of corporates are looking to to consolidate their cash management over the next two years. they see that as a tailwind for the global banks. And then finally, scope consolidation. In terms of the, the tenders of the RFPs that we see coming out, a greater percentage of those RFPs are multi-product and or multi-region. There used to be roughly half of the deals that we saw were single product, single region deals, and that, now that's less than about 20%. From, I, I think one of the other key things that we're seeing is this, this uh, the resurgence of the RFI request for information, and we're now calling these the request for ideas. So, this used to be very much of a, a tick box exercise or a capability assessment, and it's really transitioning. And they're much more, given the complexity and the new innovations in transaction banking, these are much more sort of exploratory, innovation based white papers. I think that's a really important part, considering a the innovation, and then b knowing that transaction banking is just such a long tenure, sticky relationship. And then finally, ESG. We've heard a lot about ESG over the last decade or so, but it's really kind of settling in as a key enterprise consideration area, enterprise consideration similar to business continuity, disaster recovery, and post security. And I always say it's it's you know akin to kind of talking about credit, credit worthiness of your bank. We're now also kind of looking at this ESG worthiness of your critical suppliers. And, you know, we, we saw a lot of, you know, we saw everyone signing up to their net zero commitments over the last few years. Now that's turning to scope two focus. And, uh, you know, banks or clients really pushing that down uh, their, their supplier chain onto their banks.
0: Thank you, Pete. That's really interesting. There's three kind of key trends there. Lee, do you want to cover a bit kind
3: of the role of procurement in the business? So from a procurement perspective, and just to put that in context, my team and I are responsible for sourcing everything across the enterprise in our region, and that includes all areas such as HR, technology, real estate, finance, marketing, I could go on. Where we have third-party requirements, it typically starts with my team. And as an industry, we've noticed the increasing visibility on information security and that plays an ever-increasing role in the supplier onboarding, driving the requirement for the bank to continue to enhance the way that we do due diligence, be that upfront with a new relationship or if an existing third party introduces to us new services. What we're also seeing is an increased scrutiny from regulators on the banks when engaging in third parties. The interest is in understanding that the bank is making good with their outsourcing decisions by keeping in-house those elements that a bank is supposed to do versus those areas that are more appropriate to give to a third party.
0: That was an excellent point, and I think something that resonates with any treasurer at the moment. Tobias, what about the client's view from your study? What have you been finding out about buying behaviours?
2: We have obviously different degrees of crisis right now in different markets, but clients are willing to pay for a stable and and sound service, especially if it's also across border. And delighted to represent the the client feedback here. Um, By way of background, we've interviewed about 2,500 to 3,000 large corporates globally. And so that's quite a good, I think, basis to aggregate upwards and and see the messages. And what we've done is not only to understand what was the uh, behavior and what was the criteria in the last year or so, but also forward-looking. What are reasons for willing to switch to a new provider or also move away from a certain provider? And the, the feedback is quite uh, strong and, and clear. Clients are really looking for exec- execution excellence. So they're looking for reliable banking partner that is international, that has a full suite of solutions tailored to their needs and focused on making it easy to do business. And the making of easy-to-do business is really important because that's really the excellence of delivery is what clients are looking for. In particular, at times of of volatility and and challenges, which obviously we're in now, and I think we've been over the last 15 years, we've been through quite a lot of uh, frequent challenges uh, across the corporate environment. I think that's really key, and there are even willing to pay for it, believe it or not. It's all about the security and the delivery of the product. That being said, there are some you know, differences in in the region. In Europe, for example, we have, let's say in the Mediterranean region, so Iberia and Italy, the willingness to change is less pronounced than in, in the Nordics. So quite some willingness to to change to secure that right provider and i think the other observation we we've made is that there are a couple of changes in in terms of the willingness of also using non-bank providers which you know has been discussed for a while how important are non-banks in this in this environment i would say it's about 50 50 where about half uh, say that they are planning to use or are already using a non-bank provider. But if you look deeper and see where, what are they using it for, it's mainly for the payment aggregator functions and they're using them for payment intermediary functions. So I think there's still a very important role for large corporates, and it's more of a additional support function from the non-bank providers that is really coming into play.
0: Thank you, Tobias. I think yeah, you've got some really interesting points. And you've mentioned volatility. We've had a lot of volatility and turmoil, uh, especially at the beginning of 2023. Tobias and then maybe Pete, what, what are the downstream impacts in these sort of black swan events on the buying decisions? Do buying decisions change all of a sudden when there's turmoil? Coming from
2: the client feedback I think the first thing we have to remind ourselves is that treasurers are not necessarily very risk-friendly people. And in that context, they really value those partners that help them to have a steady course. They are even willing to, to pay for it. So especially during COVID, for example, we did see that competitive pricing, although still very important, came down a little bit as a selection criterion because what's paramount is to have a steady and strong delivery first. I think the fintechs do have a little bit of a harder time now because there's more risk or at least anticipated risk. You know, people do question, will they all survive on the banking side? They know that, you know, banks will survive or will be integrated into other banks, as we've seen. There's less of a worry from from the client perspective, which, again, I think it's all pointing towards the very large global banks, such as Bank of America, and, and that's what um, clients are gravitating towards in, in times in times of, of crisis. I think the last point uh, on that subject I'd like to make is that, you know, in the past we have been discussing, is it the bank or the fintech? I think we are now in a very different phase where it's one with the other, and that's really what, what's driving this. Banks are working closely with fintechs. and. Uh, and it's, I think it's, it's a win-win if, if the bank provides the stability, also the client connection and the broader context uh, of, of the uh, product set. And the fintech can add to that with their specialty capabilities to accelerate the digital transformation.
1: Yeah, just to echo some of Tobias's points on fintech, from our end, what we're really seeing is not too many RFP losses to fintechs. So That's less than 1%. In terms of what we see as a transaction bank, but what we are seeing is a lot more requests to co-bid and partner with fintechs on on client projects, and we've done that successfully, you know, over the years really. Um, with cl- I'm thinking of fintechs like Banked, you know, whom we partner with on Pay by Bank uh, or Cariba on API integration. So a lot more of those requests for banks and, and fintech partners to work together. Christina, to your point on, you know, I guess some of the volatility, some of the, the bank disruption in March, this is something that's been going on for a long time. And I mentioned that, you know, near nearly having in the number of the banks in, in US and EU over the last 20 years. Those were some very high profile cases. I think that has accelerated it. We definitely did have a lot of Clients wanting to look at their bank groups, consolidate non-relationship banks out, and really just just kind of bring forward some of that consolidation. And just, frankly, it's it's kind of best practice cash management. From that end, that's really been a focus area of our clients. Particularly, I think there was a lot of non-relationship banks in the mix where 2021 was a record year for M&A volume. So a lot of clients acquired legacy relationships that they had yet to clean up, and they were getting exposure to sort of smaller regional or non-investment grade banks that they weren't necessarily aware of. So that post-deal integration has become a a much higher priority for clients in the liquidity imperative. And that's really just about this much higher demand for the installation of global overlay notional pools Our own notional pool saw a 20% uptick roughly in in balances over the last year at a time when overall bank deposits were flattening. And we saw a 3.5x increase in pipeline for notional pools, which is just dramatic. A lot more focus on that. Even if I'm not able to consolidate my bank group that quickly, the the thing I really want to do is make sure I've got 100% visibility on on, on the same day basis of all my cash. So a lot more focus there.
0: Thank you, Pete. Lee, what do you think um, that turmoil might have done in the last few months in procurement strategies?
3: Thanks, Christina. There's, there's, a, lot of, well, there's a number of considerations, really, from a third-party perspective. Uh, the importance of recovery of services can be critical. If a third-party fails in some way as a result of these types of scenarios, we're always considering elements like the financial stability of our key third parties, which is a key part of the bank's program that we have here. And like many others, we've also analysed the impact of recent events. That includes looking at effects on our third-party relationships if they actually banked with one of these regional banks. Uh, concentration risk is another consideration. For example, where, the bank, where is the bank exposed due to having too much of a single third party and those scenarios where we have no choice but to use a sole source type scenario? And I think finally, subcontractor risk is one of those considerations uh, does the third party have a subcontractor that plays a critical role in the service? I think all of these are sort of some of the key things that we would look at in those types of scenarios.
0: No, I think uh, yeah, it's a really interesting point. because the uh, subcontractor, the supplier to your supplier, isn't it? That's um, right. We've talked a bit about the pandemic earlier and kind of you know the impact there. Pandemic was a major shift in terms of the workplace, and a recent survey, from the Bureau. The hybrid working has increased four times and the amount of treasures working fully in office declined from 73% pre pandemic to just 10% post-pandemic. How has this dramatic shift in the workplace impacted procurement practices and buying decisions? Lee, what, what have you seen in the procurement space?
3: Actually, from our side, our ability to procure, it hasn't changed, but we have made changes in how we do things. I think that's similar to many industries. We use virtual meetings. We have, we've managed to continue to do remote testing of suppliers where that's applicable. A clear area of impact is on real estate. The bank, like many other companies, continues to involve our real estate strategies, given our implementation of a multifaceted approach to, to flexibility, and that responds to the varied nature of our businesses and work. We also need to think about and contract for third parties to have remote or off-site staff and that's where appropriate
1: just from my and Christina, what we've been seeing from the bank side in terms of rfps firstly they've moved much more as you'd expect from paper to digital even in areas like public sector where it was very much you know wet signatures and and hand delivered final copies to the office that really changed and was forced to change during the pandemic which frankly was a a welcome a, a welcome evolution from our end and that's also, you know, that move from paper to digital also moved in the transaction space, and we saw about a 25% overall reduction in paper instruments globally in our global transaction services business. And uh, you know, it, it it went down much more than that during the peak of the the pandemic, but a lot of that has not come back. I think that was a welcome excuse for many treasurers to move away from paper. They, you know, are more risk prone and higher cost in terms of the you know, overall fulfillment whether it be, you know, the, the manual handling on their end or the the bank cost as well. And I think just the one other thing that's been really notable to our team is best in final presentations that we see at the end of a process. Those used to be very much a 60-90 minute presentation, minimal people on the client side, tough to get a lot of people together in one room that sort of hybrid best and final has stuck and that remote environment really helped get more people at the table from the client side which has been great i think
2: it's really sometimes fascinating to look at data from pre-pandemic and and now and the expectations and how quickly they have changed and i can confirm what peter just said that obviously the pandemic really really accelerated digitization in the sense that some things we've predicted will come in the next three, five, six years. They came within a year in, or 18 months. And now it's, the expectation levels have really changed dramatically. So things like electronic signatures or a lot of you know paperless working is now not a positive differentiator anymore it is a a given, and if you don't deliver on that, it's more of a negative differentiator, if anything. At the same time, we do see that we can at least differentiate between two types of digitization. We we think about bilateral digitization, digital docs repositories, electronic signatures, electronic forms, docs, et cetera, things that the client can do vis-a-vis the bank, And that's really accelerated. And a lot of clients are really expecting a lot from the banks there. But it's it's a given for most. Where it's different is what we call multilateral digitization. So that is more about the digitization of whole ecosystems, where it's not just the bilateral side, one client, one bank. But if you think, for example, about end-to-end digitization of product implementation processes, especially on the trade finance side, where you um, require multiple players to digitize along the same kind of process, that's what's, I think, the next step. But that's also where clients recognize it's going to take a couple of years to get anywhere on that. And that's, however, where the big new efficiencies will be unearthed. I think really acceleration, but there's a lot more to come and some really big breakthroughs in the next couple of years.
0: Thank you, Tobias. You've actually raised a great point there about consultants being more engaged in RFPs, and that's something that we've seen at Bank of America. Pete, can you tell us a bit about how you've seen kind of how having a consultant on tender changes things? What what are what have we seen and what have we noticed?
1: Sure. I guess the key thing is just seeing a material uptick in the usage of consultants and. Uh, that's been we've seen that climb 43% pre post pandemic consultant managing or advising a, a an RFP on behalf of clients and that that engagement takes various shapes sometimes it is bank selection sometimes it's treasury procurement going on in parallel but various different shapes we we're, we we take it a positive view at Bank of America when we see a consultant involved Firstly, it means the deal's real, you know, we get some deals that are potentially uh, pricing exercises and you're obviously not going to pay a consultant for that. Then as well, I think the the major thing, and Tobias just touched on that, is that it also means the deal's going to be or the project's going to be resourced. And I think that's a key thing, knowing how lean most treasury teams are, that's often a real barrier to change. And then finally as well, you know, we talk about all the innovation. All the new things going on, like pay by bank, virtual accounts, real time payments, apis there's a lot for clients to get their head around and consultants help us kind of carry the load in terms of market education and advising clients on what all these you know new innovations mean and how they may be applied to their business. I think you know one other thing I've noticed that's been kind of interesting is just. We have, again, seen this real push to consolidation and centralization, and we have seen consultants brought in almost to kind of be the bad guy, as it were, in terms of uh, selling that to the local uh, domestic teams or financial controllers, uh, where Treasury may struggle to sometimes get that message across, the importance of centralization. They're kind of using consultants to carry that message for them, which has been interesting to see. And again, for a, a global bank like Bank of America, that's a positive thing.
2: Peter, I think um, you're right on it. Uh, uh, what we see also is that you know, the, it's not only the lean structure of a lot of the treasury offices, but also, I mean, admittedly, there's a more and more expertise necessary on the technical side. Uh, as we talk about the digitization, it's, it's not that trivial, and it's not necessary in the, in the toolbox of a traditional treasurer. I think for all parties involved, it can be quite helpful to have consultants involved in the sense that they can anticipate certain things, they can make sure for both the corporate and the bank that you, know, you have the right resources, that it ca- the capabilities that the bank can offer will be fully adopted, and that the, therefore the digital solutions that are available will be fully used and embraced. And so to make sure that that's actually happening, the, the, the consultants can be, can be quite helpful. And it is, we're talking here sometimes about really big projects, and and you have to get it right. And that's also coming back to the risk-averse position of probably some of the corporate treasury offices, which is the right uh, thinking to make sure that you really deliver at the end, and also to anticipate and manage internally some of the expectations. So you have very large organizations around the globe, different interests, uh, different priorities, and someone has to put it all together and the uh, the consultant can be in in some ways the catalyst sometimes for for that type of work.
0: Thank you Tobias, I think that's that's really insightful. Now I'd like to change tack a bit and uh, actually Lee, what are your predictions for the future evolutions in treasury tech and procurement moving forward? What do you think are the upcoming changes that the audience should prepare for? It's another good question. As I think about
3: um, what I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, uh, cyber security is continuing to evolve at a rapid pace and staying ahead of this in the bank is well, paramount. We need to ensure that where we share data and information with any third party, that they have similar capabilities to look after that information. We also are looking at the way that we can engage a more diverse range of third parties. In 2021, we publicly communicated that all suppliers are required to pay their employees are working exclusively on the bank's services, the UK Living Wage, as per the Foundation's Real Living Wage guidelines. And I think that was a, a great move from the bank. We believe that we're seeing more use of a service called KY3P, They're a provider of third-party vendor reviews, which the bank uses to engage, enable third parties to complete risk assessments across multiple banks, and this is in support of tenders. Uh, this will enable participants to consolidate their key data, enabling consistent responses.
0: Pete Tobias, can you give us your predictions for the future evolutions?
1: I think the, the key prediction is that we're going to see more continues to release in terms of new deals coming to market and new projects and RFPs. So uh, again, we're even despite the increases we've seen so far, we're still below the pre-pandemic highs. So from that end, we just continue to see more of those projects coming to market. I, th- I think one other thing just that we're seeing more of is this topic of vaporware is becoming more of a thing in the treasury space. Some banks and fintechs are being uh, a little bit aggressive on forward selling new developments that aren't necessarily game ready. We are seeing a lot more focus on that, making sure the services and offerings that are contained in an RFP are truly live. and and available today, and a lot more focus on what I would call executable innovation. I.e. What can we do in the next six to twelve months to really move the needle versus stuff that may happen in, in two or three years time. And then finally, really just a lot more focus on working capital and on-time treasury. Again, considering the market, considering you know a bit of a potential down cycle or a recession in you know late 2023, early 2024 again, just a lot more C-suite focus on working capital and what treasurers can do to help there?
2: I would say uh, two important points here. One is quality of delivery and the other point is agility. So on quality of delivery, I would say that it really is about delivering a great capability in a timely manner. And when I say timely manner, I, I don't necessarily mean in real time, but on time. And we've seen that, especially in times of volatility, turnaround time is one of the key considerations for corporates. And that's where you really can accelerate in terms of quality of delivery. In terms of agility, we see that there is also a really important point in terms of acting at this time of, of uncertainty. And where we see in that, you know, if we face not a lot of economic shocks or challenges that the opportunity to differentiate are really in 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 the sense of where you can provide an agile process and service. Part of that is obviously, obviously the digitization that can help there, and we see a lot of demand on self-service in particular. At the same time, it's not just the high-tech part with the self-service part, but we also see that the actual winners are, are those who can combine high tech with high touch, so that you have the capabilities, but if things go wrong, that you're not by yourself and that you have an excellent team behind you that can that can help facilitate some of the challenges. Only then, by the way, you will also high, have high adoption levels if they know that there is a backup plan. I think those are the key key areas we see in terms of the next couple of years.
0: Thank you all. There's been a real great conversation changing buying behavior in the Treasury landscape and how to manage the critical component of church transformation. I've loved hearing from you. It's been really insightful. Got a few ideas for what to focus on in the future and uh, how to deal with uh, what's coming our way. For now I want to thank our experts, Dr. Tobias Naraka, Lee Williams, and Peter Ziegenfuss.
2: Thanks, Christina. Thank you, Christina. It was a pleasure, Christina. Thank you for having us.
0: I'm Christina Rosdowska, and you've been listening to Dr. Tobias Mayanka, Lee Williams, and Peter Ziegenfuss. Thank you for listening to Treasury Insights podcast series. Bank of America is the marketing name used by certain global banking and global markets businesses of Bank of America Corporation. Lending, other commercial banking activities, and trading in certain financial instruments are performed globally by banking affiliates of Bank of America Corporation, including Bank of America N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2023, Bank of America Corporation, all rights reserved.